Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dear Black Folks Podcast. Today I have with me the Restorative Justice Advisor for the Los Angeles Unified School District, and she is here to talk to us about trauma in the black community. So please, everybody, help me welcome Davette Henderson-Brown. Good morning, Davette. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How you? I've been asking all my guests this since we started. How are you all holding up with the COVID-19? It's different, but we're all right. That's good. That's good. All right, let's get into it. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the, um, the trauma in the Black community, and I know that that's a passion of yours. And I wanted to first ask you, um, what what is the definition of trauma? Okay, so the definition of trauma would be uh, it's the result of any event, series, or series of events um, or circumstances that you experience either individually, physically, or emotionally that is harmful or life-threatening. Okay. So what, what was your um, passion what drove you to to have this passion to dealing with trauma? What what interests you to to take this um, subject on? So you know, being in education for the past twenty years, um, I've seen a lot, heard a lot, um, and this was one of the first times that I guess the light bulb came on. You know, somebody was talking about trauma, and the more they talked about it, I started relating it to the students that I've been working with over the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, wait a minute, you know, there's something to this, and how come we don't know more about it? Why, you know, as a teacher, I know that my practices could have been different had I known more about it. And then I start thinking about the community community itself, right? And like, why isn't this known throughout the black community? Because things could be different. If I, I always felt like if you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like because we don't know this information, we continue to do the same thing and get the same results. Right. So what are some of the things that you would say that we're misguided on when it comes to trauma? I know we're dealing with the kids and you know, in the conversations we had before, we talked about how so often our kids get um, diagnosed with ADD and ADHD and get put on these drugs and stuff. And really, it's not nothing wrong with them, like, you know, to be on drugs like that. It's really from trauma. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, what I've learned with this is that the manifestation of trauma um, presents itself the same way as something like ADHD, Right. And so, again, being in the classroom, my first year, I had seven students, seven young black men, young black boys that were on Ritalin, right? And so they were misdiagnosed, I believe, because they were diagnosed as having attention deficit disorder. But when you look at um, trauma and how trauma has effects on the brain, then you see that it's not um, something that could be medicated, but it's more that the kids might have needed a better relationship with someone. They needed to talk to someone. There's other things that you need to do to facilitate change for these students. And it wasn't medication. Okay. So let's talk about, since we're on a subject with the the kids, Mm -hmm. how early can trauma start? Yeah. So this was um, eye-opening for me. Um, What I'm learning is that Trauma starts as far back as your grandmother and grandfather. So your grandparents, it, whatever happens to them. Okay. Wait, how can I explain this? So when your mother was in your grandmother's womb by five months, your mother has all her eggs, Mm -hmm. right? So she's not even born yet. She's just five months in the womb all of her eggs that are to be born or not are already inside of her. So anything that happens with your grandmother and your mother before you're actually born has an effect on you. Wow. So you're saying that whatever your, so whatever your grandmother is going through 
at that time that she's pregnant with your mom. Her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, your mama picked that trauma up. And then mm-hmm. because she's already developed her eggs, that was, trauma is part of her DNA, basically. Right. And then when whatever trauma she goes through and while she's pregnant and everything, now you're carrying your grandmother and your mother's trauma with you. Absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, it, and <clears throat> excuse me, kind of... It kind of it makes sense because a lot of times people will say like I don't know why they act like that or why he acts mm-hmm. like that or something. Can right. you and so touch on that staying in that subject on why you know how we talked about how you can have siblings all grow up in the same house but right. they can come out totally different. Okay, so touch and on that. so I will uh, use my own family for an example of that. So I have two sisters and a brother. And, you know, we, my brother didn't grow up with us, but my two sisters did. We all grew up together. And when I say we are completely different, well, first of all, my oldest sister passed away, mm-hmm. but my sister that's living, she's a different beast, you know, and I never understood what was going on. You know, I'm like, we grew up in the same household. Why does she act like this? What, you know, what is she tripping on? So once I started studying trauma and looking back, what I realized was that she's six years older than me. So things happened to her within her first six years, right? And these are those adverse childhood experiences that didn't happen to me. So she had some trauma that came before I was even born, right? And then whatever else she may have experienced outside of that, right? So the trauma continues and... For her, she doesn't talk, you know, she's very quiet or she cries, she's very internal. And I'm the complete opposite. Everybody knows all my business my whole life. And that's therapy, actually, right. you know, because secrecy is the is what keeps ACES, you know, ACES thrives on secrecy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so basically what <clears throat> excuse me, so basically what you're saying is that a lot of times with the difference in those kids being so different is that it can all, it can all depend on whatever your mother was going through at the time she was carrying. So if your mother was going, everything was pretty peaceful for those nine months or whatever, mm-hmm. you could be a lot more calm and different than if by the time your sibling was born, she may have been stressed out and going through a lot. And then that would carry over to them. Wow. Right. And my sister, the one that has all this was the third born. And my older siblings are all two years apart. So by her third child, I'm sure she was stressed out. She was a young mother. She had lost both her parents, you know, and wasn't with the father. So, yeah. Yeah. And especially if, you know, like those of us who have siblings who, who, you know, parents were divorced and they had kids with, you know, other people, whatever, Mm -hmm. you have completely different sets of trauma from the other father or mom or whatever that could affect them differently than how you are too. Wow. Absolutely. That's amazing. So you you said uh, ACEs. Can you explain mm-hmm. what that is, the ACEs study and what it is? Okay, so ACEs stands for, it's an acronym and it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's a study that was done by Kaiser Permanente in uh, 1998 by Dr. Vincent Felite and Dr. Robert Ananda, A-N-D-A. And it was done with Kaiser Permanente and the Center of Disease Control. They did a study with 17,000 adults Mm -hmm. looking at things that happened to them in the past and the health outcomes. So Kaiser Permanente um, was more concerned about the health outcomes of people. So they were looking to see why this group of people were, you know, having high blood pressure or um, heart disease and all these different things. They were trying to find the cause. So that's how the study started. Okay. So I want to back up just a little bit. I want to go back to this, to the students real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, You were telling me a story of a, a pediatrician, I think it was. Yes. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so the pediatrician was Dr. Denise Dowd. 
um, and she's out of Kansas City. And so her and one of her colleagues were looking in the newspaper and the police department had um, published an article um, about students that died from gunshot wounds, right? And so in this article, she realized that these students of her, I mean, these patients of hers were pretty much all listed. All of these people that had died from gunshot wounds over the last couple of years were either her patients or her partner's patients. And so for her, she was wondering like, well, what am I missing? Is there something that I could do, you know, to maybe prevent this from happening? Because, you know, she was feeling like she's being punked. Like, how come all of my people are ending up on this list? And is there anything that I can prevent? And I think that's what also drives me with this whole thing, because, you know, like I said, I worked in the inner city, Baldwin Village, the jungle of L.A. Um, and the same thing was occurring with a lot of our students, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. By the time they're in middle school or high school, they're not even making it to high school and they're being killed, you know, so. I'm like, is there something as a teacher, they, they're with us 180 days, eight hours a day, right? What are we missing? Is there something from the classroom perspective that we could do to help these students? Is there information that we could give these parents so that the, the outcome can be different? So it was the same, it's the same premise for me. I'm just like, something has to change. Something, we have to do something different. Right. So we were talking about, um, again, with the students and when they end up getting placed in, uh, as a special ed student and all that stuff. And it was interesting, what I was just learning from our conversation we had last night when we was preparing for this interview is that um, I think it's, it's probably important for parents to not just accept, <clears throat> excuse me, to not just accept when that you're kid is a special ed student. You need to really question that because um, it seems as though, you know, like I said, they're, they're quick to just label us special ed and put us on meds. Mm -hmm. And then, but really from what you're saying, it's really just that they're suffering from trauma and they probably need more counseling and nurturing. Right. But but also what I was sharing with you too is how cruel kids are. So now you have this kid that's already suffering from trauma. You, you put him in special ed now he has to deal with the trauma of the kids teasing him, calling him stupid and special ed mm -hmm. and, and teasing him and stuff like that, which is going to cause even more trauma. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, can you touch a little bit on that on what, you know, what a parent should do and, and um, if their kid is being told they're special ed and stuff, any advice you can give to them? Yes. Yeah, so I would say for parents, um, first of all, be honest with yourself. Um, take the ACEs survey and you can find that on www.childwelfare.gov. Um, it's 10 questions. And really look at your own trauma because as we said before, the things that we're going through usually affects our children and we don't realize that. And so then we put them in a social setting, you know, and expect them to act and behave a certain way or act like everybody else. Well, their circumstances are not the same. So they're not going to act and perform like everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're learning also about ACEs is that it causes um, neurological disorders, right? It affects the brain. So you have this cortisol that comes from stress and it changes the dynamics of the brain. So where the student is suffering, you know, or not doing as well as the other kids, it doesn't mean that they can't do it. You might have to approach it a different way. So my advice to parents would be get honest about your own trauma and what you're going through. Be honest about how your trauma could be affecting your child. And if you're causing your child more trauma and added stress, tell your pediatrician. Be honest with your pediatrician. See, as a teacher, we're mandated reporters. So, you know, they might be a little appreh apprehensive to tell us whether or not 
you know, they're being abused or being abusive or, you know, things like that because we're mandated reporters, right? We have to call DCFS. Um, but with um, the pediatrician, it's not the same. So they need to be open and honest about what's going on. You know, if they're in the house and, you know, they have a husband that's, you know, in and out of jail, carcer incarceration, you know, all these different things that causes trauma, tell them to look at that and have them try other ways of dealing with this child before putting them on drugs. Okay. And I think it's important for the for the parents to, like you said, to really be honest with themselves because they really could be subconsciously submitting their kids to more trauma and not knowing it, you know, because of what they've dealt with. And they, you know, they'll just feel like, oh, this was me and my issues. It all had nothing to do with my kid and not really realizing and then be mad at the kid because of where they're acting, not realizing it's coming from them. So I think it's very important for people to hear this and understand that if you are having problems with your kid, you may need to first look in the mirror and realize that it could be, a lot of it could be coming from you or just, you know, through the DNA, you know, what you went through when you was pregnant or your mom or whatever. So I think that, you know, it blew, it blew my mind when I was talking to you uh, yesterday yeah. about it. And, and, and we talked about how in the black community, we almost kind of brag about whipping our kids and the mm -hmm. discipline and stuff like that. It's like a, a badge right. of honor to, you know, cause it was a shoe. Black mamas don't play that. You know, you might see a little right. white kid acting up and you're like, boy, if that was a black mama, they'd be the, whooped his ass and this and that. Let's talk a little bit about that and, 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 and see, you know, is that really something to be proud of or are we really, or is that trauma that we're dealing with and we're passing it down? Okay, so absolutely. I do believe that, you know, it is trauma. It's trauma that we're causing to our children, but it's something that we were taught, right? And so we don't understand and that, and again, this is why we're doing this interview, right? This is why we're doing this whole thing is so that we get a better understanding of the outcome of how we treat not only our children, but one another, right? right. So, um, yeah, don't be proud because you laid hands on your kids because what that does is it manifests later. And that's what people don't understand either. It's like, well, I got whooped and I'm okay. No, you're not. Right. That's what you think, Right. You think you're okay, right? But that anger and the feeling of being hurt by somebody that loves you, right? It does something to your brain. That's a whole different thing. And so what happens is that it comes out later and it comes out in different ways. It may come out as the same anger, right? You might hit your kid like, well, I didn't get away with that. So I'm not going to let you get away with that, right? But our kids... We're all wired to understand. Right. We have to learn how to talk to our children, you know, and I, I was telling you, I battle with this all the time because my mother didn't spare the ride. You know, <laughs> I was I was raised in a house where you talk back or you do something and you got in trouble for it. You know, you got a whooping. My sisters got whooping all the time, you know. I learned from their mistakes. I wasn't one of those. And so I feel like that's another thing that's different about us, right? My mother didn't hit me. She didn't hit me. But they got, I mean, like if child abuse was a thing back then, she would be under the jail. I can tell you <laughs> that, right? Um, but like I said, when you, you know, as you get older and you start thinking about what has happened to you and getting into a different relationship. And I know we said we were going to talk about this a little more too, you know, having that relationship with somebody and you feel like you can't talk to them. And the only way to get your point across is to beat them right. like that slave mentality. And we have to get away from that. We really have to get away from that. It does not help your child. Right. And it didn't help you. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I have this, <clears throat> Excuse me, I had this this one time, because I spanked my kids. My daughter didn't get too much. My son got more than my daughter, but he didn't get a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't spank him at all. And I'm going to tell you, there's one incident, and I talk to my son about this all the time. He's like, Dad, it's okay. I don't even remember it. Yeah. But he was, he was only like three years old when he first started playing baseball. It was his first sport, t-ball at Van Ness mm -hmm. Park. 
And man, he was such a he was just all over the place. He was he was the best on the team. He was just active and he was but he was so excited about he loved being out there. And I guess he had to pee and he didn't want to get off the field and he ended up peeing on himself. Now he's three mm-hmm. years old. I was so mad at him because I knew he knew better, you know. Right. And I was so and I snatched him off the I was like, boy, I think I was more embarrassed, which is right. shameful to say, but I'm just being honest because we're talking about helping each mm-hmm. other do better. I think I think I was more embarrassed that he peed on himself than mad, but I took it out on him. Right. And I spanked him and I was pulling him. I said, boy, you know better. I'm just fussing at him the whole way back to the car. And I look back and he's just bawling, crying, and look even just talking about it almost brings me to tears because when I think back, I was like, it was just an innocent little three-year-old kid that was trying to have fun. And I did that. Like I, you know, and I always wonder, like, so, so one day when I finally told him about it, you know, and I, I cause I, I, I wanted to apologize because I didn't know if it was effective. He remembered. I didn't even want him to think like, damn, dad was really a jackass at that time. Right. And me not acknowledging, like, you know what, son, I remember doing it and I'm sorry and I was wrong. But he was mm-hmm. like, dad, because I, I bring it up to him all the time because it really hurts me even still thinking about it. Right. He, he always like, dad, you don't have to keep saying it. I don't even remember it. It's fine, you know. Right. But, but I, you know, and that, I mean, I'm glad you shared that story. And that's what we have to do as parents, mm-hmm. you know. And I tell my daughter all the time, there's no manual to this. Right. You know, we don't know what this is, right? And raising a girl, you know, that's now that I'm now looking up to at the age of 12, you know, that has her own mind and has her own way of doing things, right? And so it's not my way. Mm-hmm. And so because it's not my way, it frustrates me. Right. But I don't have the right to beat her into submission. You know, you're going to do it this way because this is what I said. That's not okay. And even when you speak it, it's right. Right. And you say, I'm going to make you. No, no. Talk to them. Tell them why it's important that they do it this way. Or, you know, because at some point they're going to have to rationalize things for themselves. And it scares me you know, is when you raise a child out of love and you don't, you know, put your hands on them and you don't, you know, treat them that way. And then they go out into the world where they, they're dealing with kids who are more aggressive because they have been whooped or, you know, they have had these other situations. Um, Now they are going to abuse my baby. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, that's that's really what I'm thinking. Like we have to do things different as a community. Right. You know, we have to set a different foundation. We have to understand the outcomes and the effects of trauma. You know, and trauma is not only putting you know putting your hands on somebody. Trauma is, you know, we talked about this that when they did the study, there's ten questions um, that they asked in the trauma survey. Um, and it's around, um, do you mind if I, if I share them? Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna okay. So, so the survey number one says, you know, did a parent or other adult in your household often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you? Um, and did a parent or other adult in your household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you, right? Ever hit you so hard that it made marks? or that you were injured? Um, Did an adult or a person at least five years older than you touch or fondle you or have you touched them in a sexual way, right? Attempt to have oral sex or any kind of intercourse with you. Did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat had to wear dirty clothes or no one was there to protect you? Did your parents ever separate or divorce? Was your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, you know, something thrown at her? And I'm going to go back after I read the entire survey so we can talk just a little bit about this. Um, Did you live with anyone who had a drinking problem or used street drugs? Was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? 
And did a household member ever go to jail? So these are and these then, this the that's the ACES study. I mean the test to see that's if, the ACES survey, yes. And so, so it's one out of ten and you score yourself, right? And so with the study, what they're saying, if you answered yes to more than four of these, you have a higher risk of some health challenges, which I think is so interesting because we don't usually associate um, you know, what we're doing in the house as affecting us our health, right? So they talk about obesity, diabetes, depression, um, STDs, heart disease, cancer, stroke, COPD, um, asthma, broken bones, right? That's a lot. That's a lot that that could possibly be prevented. You know, and in the black community, you always hear about people diabetes, Mm -hmm. you know, Depression's been a big thing lately. Asthma in our children has been a big thing lately, you know? And so if we can prevent this, why wouldn't we? Right. So those are all things that could trigger trauma. This is all things that trauma triggers. Oh, trauma triggers. Okay. Right. So it can manifest into this, right? They're looking, this was the study they did it with adults. So looking back on, again, that survey, having them fill it out, they're saying those that checked off more than four saying yes, that these are the health outcomes that they are noticing in these people. Wow. Wow. You know, and I know you and I you know, talked about our scores, right? And so that's what I was saying. When you, when you look at this, so many of these things are so common in the Black house. Yes. You know, the black household. And it hurts my heart. But this explains to me why we keep doing the same thing. And right. we keep, you know, we're in a cycle. Right. And it's a vicious cycle. And it just keeps happening over and over and over. Right. So it's my hope that at some point we decide to break the cycle. But you know what's, <clears throat> you know what's interesting about our community mm-hmm. is that we've always was taught to almost kind of, well, not almost, really to, 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 to suppress and be like ashamed of people who we know in the family that have mental, uh, mental issues. You know, you, especially back in the day, you can always remember, you, you know, you had every, every like neighborhood had a few friends that yeah, right. had the crazy guy in the corner or had a yep. crazy uncle that always stayed in his room at Big Mama's house. In the house. back room, yeah. yep, at Big Mama's house. And you exactly. were taught to, to just kind of push that person off away and, and, and not talk about it, you know. Um, and, and you've even, you know, we've even been ashamed to admit the, that we have depression and stuff like I suffer from it. I'm not never ashamed to say it. And it was a, mm-hmm. a, a deep, dark place. You know, I never was suicidal right. or nothing like that. But I went through times when I was going through, so I didn't want to get out of bed. Sleep mm-hmm. was my best friend. I just wanted to go to mm-hmm. sleep because when I was sleeping, I didn't have to deal with what was going on. Um, I would hate to wake up. You know, when I wake up, I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 hours to deal with everything. I can't wait till it's nighttime to go to sleep and I, you know, I could shut down. Um, and, and you've been, you know, like your friends almost, you know, at one point when I think we're dealing with it better now, but you would be embarrassed to go talk to them because they would, you know, oh, nigga, ain't nothing wrong with you. You just, you just being weak or you just. Right, right. We right. have to really deal, you know, understand and deal with it. I tell people now I'm not embarrassed about it, you know, and I'll be like, I ain't about being weak because it ain't nothing that I chose to be. It just exactly. hit one time. Like I just realized, you know, like, damn, I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, um, you know, depression is a big thing. And I can tell you, you know, with the events that have happened in my life for the last, you know, right. last couple of years, um, I had never suffered from depression, but I can tell you that I have bouts with it now, you know, where I don't want to get out of bed. You know, it was, you know, months. I'm just walking around numb, you know, right. and, and people always say, well, you, you still have a daughter here and you got to live for her. And it's hard, you know, but, you know, you push through, but you still walk through life like in a haze. And so you want to, um, you have to talk to somebody, you know, you can't, that's why I said ACEs, 
trauma, all these things, depression, they all thrive on secrecy. You know, the more you keep it in, the more harm you're doing to yourself. You got to talk. You got that. The best thing for all of this is physical exercise um, and therapy. You know, and and in the black community, we stray away from it. But I'm telling you, if you don't want to sit down with someone um, professionally, you better get a friend. You know, know, (laughs) we as black people have to get out of this thinking that therapy is for white folks. Right. Because really, it's just releasing. You have to release Mm -hmm. that. Like like I was sharing with you, I have a a really good friend of mine who, and, and this is something that is all too familiar in our community and you know it's happened with you too he lost his son a few years ago and I keep telling him man you need to go talk to somebody and he's man I don't need to go talk to them white folks I got y'all like man it's only so much we can say mm-hmm. especially if we some of us haven't dealt with that we can only say I, when you say man I, 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 I can only imagine how you feel I don't know how you feel though you have to talk to other people that's gone through. Even if you find a support group of people who are, who are not professional therapists, but maybe they just all people who have gone through that, and y'all all sit down, and you just join that group, and you guys just share with your feelings, and you'll see. Because so much, really, therapy is, is just you just releasing, talking about it, and releasing it. And when you let that out, because it's just like being upset with your spouse or something, and you don't say nothing. And then it just mm-hmm. builds up. It builds up. The more you, you know, you get angry and angry. And, but if you just talk to them, then you can let it go. But if you don't say anything, you let it build up, build up, build up. Until eventually, it's going to erupt into something way bigger than it had to be. So, And the thing with trauma and things like that, arguments, anything bad or something hurtful that somebody has said to you, if you're not able to articulate it and you keep it in, it plays like a bad movie. Mm-hmm. It just keeps rewinding from the beginning. Plays in your head, rewinds from the beginning, plays in your head. So as you were saying, you know, you just keep, you know, it it's that's what causes the buildup mm-hmm. because it keeps playing over and over again. Right. It keeps playing over and over again. Well, once you share that story, it's not gonna start back at the beginning. It's gonna pick up from where you shared it, and now you can start working toward the solution. Right. You know, I think with with uh, unfortunately for us, I think probably damn near everybody in the black community is <laughs> is uh, is suffering from trauma because of everything we go through. I think every black person, period, in this mm-hmm. country for the most part, because we suffer from trauma from just going to work and, and just walking out the house and dealing with everything we got to deal with when we walk out of our house and and, and some of the things that's been going on lately. We're not even safe in our own homes from from right. the police. Right. I don't think people really understand, especially our white counterparts, how stressful it is for us to just exist. Right. Right. You know, to to worry about your son. You know, I have a son. I moved out of L.A. because of my son. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I got to, you know, it's not, Atlanta has its, its issues here too, but right. <clears throat> he was able to enjoy a childhood that he wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have, been comfortable to let him do in L.A. Just, hey, Dad, I'm about to walk around the corner to so-and-so house. Oh, no, nah, I'll take you. But right. here, he was like, right. you know, hey, y'all stay in the backyard. You know, I didn't want him to have to have that life because I knew I was going to be stressed out with him every time he walked out. Here, I didn't have that. I didn't worry about that as much, you know, and he was and he was able to really enjoy his childhood. But um, I just think that for us, our biggest thing in our community, we just need to learn how to talk and communicate with each other about our feelings. I think we've been, especially as black men, we've been taught that it's soft right. to express your feelings. You know what I mean? Right. And um, even even to say I love you to to your to your your brother, your friend. You know, right. now I can't say uh, maybe it's just us getting older, but um, I find that my circle we we say that to each other more now you know but i think it's important for us to be to start getting back to doing that you know and telling because especially with us we don't never know it might be the last time you see him you know whether it's from the violence or you know we're getting up in age now too and you know we're gonna start more and more having 
people pass from just health issues. But we just have to learn to communicate better with, with each other and, and talk. And also, and the I thing th- is, we have to model it because we are role models for the younger generation. Yeah. They're watching us. They're watching every move we make. So the way we interact with one another, they're watching. Right. You know, they do what we do. It's not they're going to do what we say. They do what we do. We were taught do as I say, not as I do. Right. But this generation, they're watching us and right. they're going to do what we do. So if they see us loving each other, communicating with each other, um, Things get difficult talking about it, you know, working through it, going to therapy. Um, all of those things, they will all be helpful, I believe, in the long run for the generation coming up. And I think it will have to start with us because and we talked about this, too. The generation before us, they're not having it. Our parents, they don't want to talk about trauma. They don't want to talk about what has happened. I've been trying to peel my mother onion forever you know every day I try to ask her and even this morning she's like why do you keep asking me about all this old stuff right they don't want to talk about it but their life impacts ours whether they know it or not and ours will impact our children so we have to start peeling back these layers getting open and honest about what's going on with us what has happened to us and heal from it right what do you how real do you think this um I know we had talked about we were going to touch on a little bit. The post-slave, what is it, post-traumatic slave disorder? Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit. Um, so I would I would like to share or, or save that for another time. Okay. But I will tell you a lot of what they did. Again, trauma. When you think about the trauma that our grandparents or great-grandparents faced, within their first 18 years of life right um they are coming from you know being brought here right um being pulled apart the families are being pulled apart you're losing siblings you're losing your wife you're losing your children or you're watching them be raped and hurt and all that kind of stuff it had an effect on our men well our men then made more children and so the pain that they carry, again, it manifests in your next generation and it continues. It continues. And so it's the same thing. If we don't start looking at this in a different light, I have a book that um, I'm going to dig a little deeper into. Most traumatic <laughs> and then I will be able to come back. Okay. Dr. Joy DeGroote. Uh, I will be able to... Um, come back and speak more to this because this is not, you know, trauma is not my field of study, but it is my passion project. Right. So I've been doing this for maybe the last five years, mm-hmm. but um, trust me, the more I learn and the more I know, I will be willing to share. Right. I don't want to speak on something that I'm not too clear about just Right, yet. right. I understand. Yeah. I understand. So, let me ask you, as an educator, mm-hmm. what are some of the the biggest issues you've seen with dealing with our kids, um, with with all they deal with, you know, at home and stuff like that? Uh, I know I've heard a lot of people say it's so hard dealing with some of the parents and stuff, but what are some of the biggest, like when you see some of the some of the children, and especially some of the ones that may be acting out or whatever. Is there like something that sticks out to you that 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 I would say, um, you know, I feel like we lack empathy for these children. And there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, you know, and as a teacher, I get that you're going through something, but that didn't cause me to lower my standards, my expectations for you as a person. But I'm gonna help you get there. I raise my expectations. I, you know, set a high bar, but I'm going to help you reach it. And I'm going to do all that I have to, to help you reach it. And like I said, I worked in the inner city, basic things that children need. And I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how familiar you are with uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it says if, if your basic needs aren't met, you're not going to reach 
and academic understanding. If you can't eat, get dressed, just the basics every day, that's where your concern is. You know, if you didn't have dinner last night or you didn't eat since the last time you left school, you're not focused on anything else. And I try to tell adult teachers, because that's who I work with now, I'm like, put yourself in this position. We run out, we have these meetings, right? And you got to be there at 730 in the morning. You assume that they're going to have coffee and refreshments and stuff like that. So you bypass Starbucks and you get there on time and you get there and find that there's no coffee. The only thing I'm thinking about is the next break so I could go get my coffee. I didn't hear anything that first presenter said because I need some coffee and I'm upset, you know, like, damn, I should have stopped the Starbucks. That's all that's playing in my head as an adult. So just imagine a child that didn't eat or a child that's sitting in your classroom cold because they don't have on the proper underwear or they don't have socks or they don't have, you know, a jacket. How do you function without your basic needs being met? Right. So um, I would say that, you know, for teachers, start there. Talk to your students. Find out what you have to build those relationships. And so that's what restorative justice is all about. That's what I do now. I go in and I teach teachers how to build relationships with their students. You know, a lot of teachers like I'm not a counselor. I'm not this. You don't have to be. You know, this is a human being. You know, do what you can. Refer them to who you can. I tell people all the time, assess and refer. Find out what they need. We know the resources. Once you find out what they need, send them to the counselor if they need to talk to somebody. Send them to, you know, Shoes First or whatever group is out there to help them. You you have difficult parents, talk to them. You know, they might have trust issues. Maybe they didn't have a successful time in school. So when they go back there, school might be a trigger for them. Right. You know, and I, we didn't talk about it, but, you know, your body is conditioned. Fight, flight, or freeze. So they ready to turn up. You know, but that's just a defense mechanism. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be rah-rah. You know, and to me, all that's saying is that I need help. So if if we get past, I've been cursed out, called everything but a child of God. But it doesn't affect me because I know they're coming from a hurt place. So I let them turn up and go through all that. And when they're done, how can I help you? What do you need? You know, and then you'll get a different response from people. I I know that you're hurting for you to come in here and curse out somebody that's helping your child. What's going on? You know, well, y'all mad because, you know, he didn't come to school. I didn't have no money for laundry. And okay, hold on a second. We have resources. Go get them some laundry soap. Go get them some quarters, whatever it needs. I couldn't get here because I didn't have a bus token. We, as the educators, have to listen to the needs and be resourceful, help, you know, whatever it is, help. That's interesting you say that because when you see those parents acting out, it's just interesting just talking to you, all the stuff that prior to you just saying that, I would always say, that's a crazy-ass parent. Mm-hmm. But really, they're probably they're acting out at school because there's some trauma that, and whatever's going on at that school. It could be embarrassment or whatever that mm-hmm. triggers them to, to, to act that way. Right. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's, that's why it's so important for us to to talk and communicate. And that was one of the main reason I wanted to start this podcast is because we have so much ratchet crap <laughs> out. And we need to have more stuff, you know, that, that we can learn from each other because... I'm going to tell you just from talking to you yesterday and and today, there's so much going through my, my head that I need to do better. Even as a parent, I've always said, I'm going to get it. What, that, then I'm doing my job. Yeah. That's exactly what and, I And I hope I other people, people get it. Hear this mm-hmm. and start making little changes with themselves. It starts with us. Yeah. Little changes. You know, I like I said, I'm not a guru on this. I'm not... You know, I'm not perfect, 
by any stretch of the means. Talk to my daughter. That's a whole nother story, right? But we have to do better. Yeah, because I'm, I'm going to tell you, I know now, and I'm going to have to do this in, today or the next couple of days. I got to go have a talk with my daughter because mm-hmm. she is so different than my son. But she has a totally different personality and everything. And sometimes it bothers me because I try to have fun and stuff. And sometimes she just kind of got like this attitude type thing. And then I'll be like, you always got such a fucked up attitude. Uh, and I'll say stuff like that. Now I'm thinking like I'm being a bad parent now. Like I, I'm feeling <laughs> jacked up now because, you know, because I'll be trying to have fun and joke with her. But sometimes right. she don't want to. Do and that's that. not her personality. Right. right. And then I get mad and I lash out in a way. But now I need. I know now. I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna do that anymore. Now I need. To, I really need to talk to him. Be like, why? You know, why do you get so upset? Do you not like joking? Do you want me not joke with you anymore and stuff like right. that? Opposed to gets getting mad because she don't want to have fun or the way that I think is fun. You know. Right. So this has been enlightening for me. You know. Well, that's good. I'm yeah. glad. Like I said, I I felt like when I heard this information, I'm like, this is powerful stuff. And everybody on the planet should know this because trauma is not only in the black community. That study was done. The majority of the 17,000 were Caucasian and they still have the same outcome. Stress affects everybody the same way. But as you said before, in the white community, they understand that seeking help, physical fitness, eating right you know you see them all perky and all that and like what's wrong with her right they're getting they 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 figured out that there's something wrong you know their mother know that they jacked them up and like let me put my kid in uh, in counseling right Mm -hmm. let me get them some therapy let me help them you know and so what happens is in their communities things look different than ours because we're not talking about it and we're not trying to fix it and we're not seeking therapy and you know the sad part about it is all of that stuff that they do that helps them, we always brush it off. That's white people shit. Mm-hmm. And we make a joke about it. But it's mm-hmm. really stuff that we need to do to help to make ourselves better. And it's just amazing that we've been brainwashed so much to think that that kind of stuff is not for us. Right. You know, we're supposed to be so tough that we can deal with our own problems, but we can't. And the thing is, you know, as a community, we are very resilient. Don't get me wrong. We are very resilient. But in the process of being resilient, are we passing on more trauma? Right. Right. Oh, you know, this is a bad situation, but I can stick it out. Well, is it worth it? Right. Is it worth your child's health? You know, is it worth your health? Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? We have to talk. We have to do better. Right. And so much of it... It, I mean, all of it really just stems to, we just got to be better educated. Education, education, education. It doesn't even mean necessarily you just going to school. Read. Pick up right. some books. Read. read. Research. Yeah. There's so much information out there, and especially today with all and of And I the, will tell you that um, this book right here is the beginning of it, right here. The Deepest Well. The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris. Okay. This if you are really interested in trauma, the effects of it, this book right here is what catapulted me into this whole passion. Okay. Well, I wanted to say this. Um, for those of you who don't know, I've actually been knowing Devette since we were kids. Um, you could call me Missy. Okay. Yeah. It's weird. It sounds funny calling her that because I've, I've been calling her Missy. Missy is her name that all of her friends and family call. So I've been knowing Missy. Tell since, everybody what I call you. Yeah. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've been knowing Missy since we were kids. And um, I've watched her go through, you know, her college days and everything when she was scraping to get out to, to Cal State uh, Northridge. North uh, mm-hmm. I can remember one time, I don't even remember, you remember when your car broke down, I had to come pick you up one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to now see her, and in, in, in for those who listen to the podcast regularly, my first um, guest, Tyree, this is all the same circle. And to watch these, these ladies... Um, coming to who they are today is, is amazing to me. And I'm proud of, of all of you guys. You know, you guys have done a great job. Great, great women, great mothers, 
great role models. Um, and it's been, you know, I can't believe we're, we're where we are in our age now because right. it seemed like yesterday. <laughs> but, um, but you know, when I started doing this podcast and started thinking of who can I have as guests and stuff, it's amazing the people that I have that I know that are amazing people that I that actually is carrying my first shows, you know. And I thank you all for coming on um, and, and supporting it. Um, I plan on having you all back again. You know, we talked about some other topics that I want to hit with you and, and Tyree and Michael. And, and we're going to get Michael and Bud on here, too. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think we, you all have a lot to share. Um, I just want to be the vessel to help get it out there. Um, so, again, thank you. I want to give you the, the, the closing remarks on however you want to close to whatever message you want to put out. Okay. Well, first, let me say thank you. Thank you for even having this platform. Um, like I said, this has been a passion project for the past five years. And I said in 2020, I was going to start doing some small classes. And because of course, of COVID, that idea was shut down. So I really appreciate this platform. I'm not a public speaker. Um, so, you know, having you here and being able to look at you and because we have been friends forever, providing me with a level of comfort. So I appreciate that. But um, closing remarks uh, as far as trauma. Don't be ashamed of what you've gone through. Um, use, use it as a way to help heal the world. Talk to somebody, get some help, learn about it, change, make changes in your own household first and the way that you deal with others. And um, I guess until next time, we'll, I'll be back to share more. The more I learn, the more I would like to share. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to have you all back. I'm going to talk y'all in doing your own podcast too, watch. <laughs> I'm going to do. I've been called a bully. Baby step. Baby step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Missy, you, uh, I thank you again. And um, you enjoy the rest of your day. Tell Shanine I said hello when she get there. Okay. And um, again, thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to um, doing it again. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye -bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Dear Black Folks podcast. Leave a review, leave a message, and look forward to you tuning in on the next edition of Dear Black Folks Podcast.